What's up, Caps fans, and welcome to my brand new podcast. It's the Capital Building Podcast with Rob Carlin, part of the exciting new group, Blue Wire Podcast, a fantastic company, which I could not be more proud to be associated with now. Please, if you're listening, go subscribe, write a review, leave a rating. This is the way to get the word out that I'm back with a new podcast. So I want all Caps fans to know to look forward to it. Going to be some great content, as always. Going to try and get as many guests as I possibly can. Insiders, reporters, players, ex-players, coaches, ex-coaches, whatever I can get to, whoever I can get to that's willing to talk about your favorite team, I'm going to do it leading up to whenever next season starts. Today, though, we start out with a really fascinating interview with Dennis Marook, one of the all-time great Caps. In fact, the first Capitals player to ever record 100 points in a single season in 1981. He had 60 goals. In fact, he's one of just 20 players in the history of the game to score 60 in a season and had a really fascinating book written about him, The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. It was written by Dennis Marook and Ken Reed. And in doing the research... What's probably most interesting about Marook, who, again, had a great career. He's a borderline Hall of Famer, and as you'll hear in the interview, I think it would mean the world to him to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's almost a point-per-game player, 878 points in 888 career games. He had a 50-goal season, followed up by a 60-goal season uh, with the Caps, and if you're watching this on YouTube, which subscribe to my YouTube page, which will support this, the Capital Building Podcast on YouTube, you'll see he is wearing his Caps jersey. Now, this is a guy who came up with the California Golden Seals, played in Cleveland a long time with the Minnesota North Stars. But as Alan May always said, and I asked him about it in the interview, there's always one team that gets up into your blood. And for Dennis Marook, it is certainly the Washington Capitals because he had his best seasons here. But what's even more fascinating than what he accomplished on the ice is what he went through off the ice. And that's really the reason why I reached out to Dennis Marook, because he didn't make Alex Ovechkin money. He wasn't financially secure for the rest of his life. So when his career ended, he had to go to work and he had to get, you know, labor jobs, putting together furniture, delivering furniture, setting up people's homes. And that's, in fact, how he got to meet Goldie Hawn. And become friends with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell and other celebrities. Uh, John Oates from Hall & Oates. I mean, he got to meet these people and mingle with them. So you'd think, all right, sounds pretty good. His life after hockey was pretty great. It got pretty dark. Like, really scary dark. And I think with what we're all going through during this pandemic, a lot of us can relate when your world gets thrown off kilter and all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. Dennis Marook went through that. In fact, it got so low and addiction became such a part of his problem that he actually called his family, his friends, his kids to say goodbye because he had plans to kill himself. That's how bad it got. In fact, he literally stood on the edge of a cliff. He didn't know he was there, but he was literally on the edge of a cliff. One more step and it would have been done. Yet he was able to pull himself off that cliff, literally and figuratively, and rediscover himself. And now he's a happy man, um, married again, uh, close with his kids, maybe closer than ever because of what they did and how they were there for him. 
um, and part of the Caps alumni and comes back all the time and a beloved figure in Caps history. And, um, you know, I just thought, man, what, a, what an interesting guy to talk to, especially right now. So I hope you enjoy the hockey, the life, the man, the legend, my conversation now with Dennis Marook. Well, Dennis, I want to get to your playing career because it's an amazing career, especially your years with the Caps and the jersey that you're sporting today. But your post-career is almost as interesting to me because (laughs) a lot of guys go through stuff, especially from your generation where you didn't make $90 million or $100 million throughout your career and battling depression. And I've battled that and my family has history with it. i Going through it right now. I lost my job in August, and I'm trying to rediscover myself. Yeah, I think we all are. Yeah, no, it's, it's where the world is. How tough was it post-career? And you had some interesting jobs and met some interesting people, but sort of navigating and figuring out what does my life mean now? Yeah, yeah um, well, I'm getting older, and there's no doubt about that. So uh, I'll be 65 in November. But, uh, you know, it's it, the life uh, that I have right now is I'm living in London, Ontario, and and things are good. I've got uh, three beautiful children that are, uh, you know, uh, they got kids and all that. So I got three grandkids. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying life except for this COVID-19 stuff going on. But uh, I've, um, I've uh, engaged to a lovely lady here in London, Ontario. And, and so I moved to from Toronto to London. What about immediately after your career, though? Oh, we, yeah, maybe, where did where did maybe, that go? Uh, how much time we got? I mean, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I went from a lot of different places. So after my career, I, I started, uh, as a matter of fact, I worked one year with the Minnesota North Stars and the, uh, the advertising side and tickets and all that. And then got out of that and coached high school hockey for five, six years in Chaska, Minnesota. Uh, and then uh, during that time, I had a job working for a company called Creative Concepts. They were, uh, uh, what do you call, specialty items uh, company where uh, it was easy for me to get into the doors uh, to, uh, to talk, uh, try to get some business because of hockey. Uh, but uh, I didn't have a lot of doors open. There's no doubt about it. Uh, when, uh, when we were playing, and I know that near the end of my career, that uh, we were told there was going to be some uh, – uh, and some doors opening. I think the only doors that really opened for me that if I wanted to stay involved would, would have been hockey. Um, you know, if I were scouting or being a coach or whatever that, but I, I didn't, I wanted to get away from it. I wanted, I, that's not what I wanted to do. And so it was a struggle. It was a real struggle to, I went from, you know, jobs to jobs, but, uh, and then uh, I ended up uh, after uh, I, I got involved with coaching uh, in the, uh, uh, WPHL, Whipple League, they called it then, uh, with Lake Charles Ice Pirates. And uh, I did a little bit of coaching there. And uh, in Baton Rouge, I coached there with the Kingfish. Just didn't, wasn't my cup of tea, I guess, at that point. I had to deal a lot with the agents and lawyers and all that kind of stuff about the players. And, you know, it wasn't, my job was to coach and it was their job to do, do their job on the ice. And a lot of them weren't doing it. So I just got away from it. There was a lot of BS going involved with that and got away and and then uh, and then I moved on to uh, 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 in the casino business basically I've got involved with that um, being a supervisor uh, total reward card supervisor uh, uh, in Lake Charles Louisiana I did that and then I ended up going to Vegas 
for six months uh, working at uh, Harris and Harris Company, working at uh, Bally's and uh, Paris uh, uh, casinos there. As, as the same same job but more money so I was down there for six months and then ended up going back and uh, uh, Louisiana and then ended up going to Aspen Colorado and that's uh, where it work. seems like yeah I mean like that's where it, it sounds like you met Goldie Hawn and yeah. John Oates and sort of life went in a weird direction I would imagine at that point <laughs> yes it certainly did uh, you know it was just something um I love to ski and all that was kind of neat. I, I skied a lot, but um, um, got involved with uh, a company there, a good friend of mine who owned it. And uh, I ran the warehouse with high-end furniture and stuff like that. So we deal with all those famous uh, actors and people uh, delivering furniture and that to them. So yeah, I skied a couple times a week, uh, had a lot of fun there, but there was a lot of, uh, uh, negative stuff going on the outside of my life, personal life. So that's probably a lot of it where, where it started. Yes. How, how bad did it get? Because the story I heard was, and, and I'm, I'm going to butcher some of the, the facts of it, but you were driving towards a cliff. Yeah. The book. Right. And uh, it sounds like it is like a tell all type of book that you're telling all, because I don't think a lot of people ever think, a professional athlete, certainly not a professional athlete who accomplished what you accomplished and scored the amount of goals that you scored, um, would get to a point where you're driving literally towards a, literally towards a cliff. Yes. Um, yeah, I had to put the, and when I, when I did the book, uh, I, I put the personal stuff in there and I thought it was important to let people know, uh, that, yeah, it's not all peaches and cream and, as of course, the title in the book is The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. So if you, if you look at that and, and you read, well, what do you mean, you know? And it is true. Uh, there was a lot of things going on. And, and, and I guess when you go south, when you, you hit rock bottom, it's hard to explain to a lot of people that uh, – uh, to try to figure this all out. How can anybody with that success and be that way? And I just thought I became uh, a failure as a personal, uh, as my life uh, outside of post-career. I thought things just weren't weren't going well for me. Uh, and yes, you're right. I got into my car one night and yeah, I had a few, few pops, but uh, I decided to drive to Vegas and end my life. Um, my talk to people my my kids and and all that uh for personal friends and and uh i was driving pretty slow and got to utah in uh, uh, uh the grand canyon and i just was so tired that i pulled over on just a not a not an exit just a dirt road and and stopped and uh i i passed out and uh, the sunshine woke me up in in the morning and i got out of my car and and walked about five feet, and if it would another foot, I would have been in uh, down the canyon. So uh, that wasn't where I was going to do it or anything like that. It just that those were the scene that would happen. Uh, I guess at that moment, um, a, a spark or something, or someone was looking after me, uh, and I just said, "What am I doing? You know, what? What? what I, I got a lot more." things to do in my life. I got people that love me and care for me. And I, what, what am I doing? So I got in the car and drove back to uh, Aspen where I was living. And I was living with, as a matter of fact, in the uh, basement of uh, Blake Hall, 
Bobby Hall's son and us, and we became friends. And and I had a job still. I didn't I, and I didn't quit my job. I just left, and I had a job. <laughs> and and so I I got got in the shower and got cleaned up, and uh, I knocked on the door, and it was the police. And he said, "Are you Dennis Maruk?" And I go, "Yes." He go, "Are you okay?" I says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm getting ready to go to work." And he said, well, we had a lot of people contact. We've been looking for you. And a lot of people on your family have been looking for you. And they were worried about something was going to happen. I said, yeah, yeah it was uh, an experience, but um, I'm fine now. And I'm getting ready to go to work. He said, I'm glad you're okay. That's amazing. So how did, and how much did your kids play into that? Because I know when I think about how tough the world is and where I am right now, I look at my baby girls and I got, I, I got to be better for them. Whatever is going to be next, it's got to be all about them. How much did they help you at that time? Well, my, I, have, I have a son that's uh, be 41. I have a daughter that's uh, be 38 and a daughter that's 32. And my daughter, be 38, Sarah, was uh, probably uh, very instrumental in, in, in making me realize how important the word love is. And... Uh, and it took it took a long time, but she'd call me pretty much every day, making sure that I was okay and and I was working on things personally and 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 all that kind of stuff. And and it took it took a while, but I would have to say, as you just said, family is very important, and I think uh, they saved my life. That's great. I mean that that is amazing, and I could see how emotional you are about it. Um, yeah. So I don't. Thanks. Yeah, I don't want to go down any further than that. It's it's a lot there. But is there is there a cool Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell, John Oates story? I mean, that's like straight out of a movie. That, that no one just stumbles into a life with celebrities. Okay, uh, where I worked at that uh, high end furniture store, uh, well, uh, the first time it was kind of kind of neat was Goldie Hawn came in and she wanted to buy something for Kurt. And they have two homes, one like a, a ranch type home and then a Victorian home, but you wanted this big chandelier. It was like about $30,000 with all horn, <laughs> horns and all that. But they, she wanted to put it as the entrance coming in. And so, yeah, it was kind of neat. So uh, uh, we, we got talking and she said to me, hey, uh, um, do you know anywhere I can go have a cigarette? And I said, well, there's the side door here where the car's the park where you parked your car. You can go out there and, and have a cigarette. She says, well, you wouldn't mind coming out with me, would you? <laughs> I said, sure. So I went out and, and uh, at that time I was smoking and, and I had a cigarette with her and, and kind of, you know, had a bunch of BS with her and then ended up going and delivering that, that uh, item she bought. And and we put it up. It was it was pretty hard to, to get. The three of us did it, and uh, uh, that's where I got to meet Kurt. Got to meet uh, um, you know Coley, and and been over there a few times. And she signed my book uh, uh, to my hockey love. You know, Coley. <laughs> yeah, she called me a hockey love. And but of course, their son was a goalie, right? And played played uh, uh, college hockey and all that. Didn't go on. But, uh, you know, and then I met, I met so many of those people in Aspen, uh, all these famous actors and really nice people, real, real down to earth. A lot of people don't know unless you meet them and see them a few times. And, you know, with same with um, um, John Oates. Uh, he had, uh, his, his wife came in and uh, asked, uh, asked Paul, the owner, my friend, is there any of the guys here that, that work with you can come and help me move 100 year old farm machinery on my place in, in uh, Snowmass. 
in Colorado. And Paul looked at me and I was single. And Paul said, well, Dennis is available. He'll come. So that's where I met John and I went over there and helped him. And I became, he had fired his uh, two Mexican workers that did his landscaping and asked if I, if I would do it. And I said, sure. He said, you can come over anytime. You know, um, I had to cut down some dead apple trees, plant new ones, uh, do all the weeding and all that landscape. So I did that for about a year, year and a half until I moved back to Toronto. And so I got to meet, meet John and I sure I wanted to talk to him about music and all that because I love music and he didn't really want to get into it, you know? So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, if a fan meets you, they're going to want to yeah. talk about hockey stories and you're right. like, I, I talk right. about this all the and time. I, and I, I see that. And, uh, but we had, we had a great time. I mean, I ran into, you know, did a lot of things with him and it was, it was kind of neat. And then of course meet, meeting Kurt Russell, you know, so I can go on and on about stories about all these people, but, uh, that was, that was a job. I mean, he would just, uh, he'd say, how many hours did you work? I'd go after work and work three hours. Uh, he would just, if he wasn't there, I'd come next day or something. He'd just have a check right there on the door for me and all that. Yeah. That, it's so cool because, you know, like all of a sudden the world flipped, right? So were you, right. were you like in awe sometimes? You're like, oh my God, that's John, this is Kurt Russell. Or, or is this just your life and you're a professional hockey player? You've met people like this along the way? Like how, what was it like when you were sort of entering into their world a little bit? Well, of course, as an athlete, you run into a lot of people during the time when I was playing, especially in New York or L.A., right? You run into those people because where you end up at a bar or you end up somewhere where they're eating dinner or whatever, you run in. But when I, when I moved to Aspen, that's where I ran into so many. Uh, I even worked at uh, Kevin Costner's wedding. Um, he had like a seven-day, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, party did the field of dreams and everything so i helped him there, uh all that and that was it was just kind of like they're just like natural people i mean i think that's where uh people take them as you know the, you hear so many different stories about them but uh you know when, when you meet these people and then they and, and the one time when i met uh kurt russell uh i this there's a, a bar i'd go to every day uh, every other day, pretty much uh, after I finished working where I lived in Basalt, Colorado, uh, the owner called me. He said, you got to come down here meet meet. There's a guy that, that you should meet. And I, I said, well, yeah, I'll come down. You know, I could wa walk the place. So I walked to the place. And uh, he said, the guy at the end of the table, at the end of the room, going towards the bathroom, you should say hi to him. So I went, went down there and looked and looked at couldn't see he had his hat on, cowboy hat on, and his head was down. So I went to the bathroom and then came back. And I said, excuse me, sir. And he goes, yes, can I, uh, this is, uh, you Kurt Russell? Yeah. He <laughs> says, I said, well, I'm Dennis Murray. I come here and uh, I think we have something in common regarding hockey. And he goes, yeah. And then I, he said, sit down. So, uh, and I mentioned to him about, he did a great job with the Miracle, uh, Miracle on Ice and, Herb Brooks, he was a coach there, and and we got talking. In that hour and a half, I sat down and talked. I probably might have said maybe thirty words. Oh, really? All all he wanted to talk about was hockey. How great you guys are at hockey athletes! How unbelievable strength you have, and how the the game is, and what you've got to do as an athlete on the ice. And it was just, I was just overwhelmed, really, that he knew so much about hockey. Man, of course, uh, 
I knew the family, the Brooks family, and we talked about that and all that. So it was, it was kind of neat. It was just like, you know, yes, was I overwhelmed? I think at first, the yes, meeting these people, but then once you get to talk to them, um, it's just like they're, they're like, they're normal and they're just, they're just nice to chat with. Yeah. That's what so, it was. So you knew her Brooks. How did, how did Kurt Russell do portraying him? Oh, he did a great job. Did a fabulous job. There's no doubt about it. You watch the movie, whatever. Uh, I, I know Herb, and as a matter of fact, Herb was my coach in Minnesota when I, I shattered my kneecap. So I got to know him pretty good. And and his son was my, uh, uh, um, Dan was, uh, when I played the roller hockey, coach roller hockey, he was one of the partners that owned the team. So I got to know Dan a little bit. And it was just kind of, a, I think Kurt did a, just a wonderful uh, job uh, of how Kurt, uh, how uh, Herb coached his players, how he taught his players, and how he got them to work and get, give give them their best, you know, as young players. Yeah, all I all I hear is again, again, yeah. again, yeah. making them skate. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was great, right. great, well, great that's movie. Exactly right. Yeah, it's like anything else. Do it over and over again, and you, you get better. Right. All right. Your career. I mean, <clears throat> you know, here you are. This undersized I'll use the word undersized player coming into the NHL uh, a rookie at 20 years old I mean you put up 30 goals in your first year 62 points follow that up with 28 and 78 points uh, you know you're not supposed to come in to a league of grown men and put up numbers like this how how, how did you do that well I had a little bit of advice from some uh, one one uh, former NHL player too Dave Hutchison uh, who played with the London Knights too as my junior team that I played on. And he had already been in the NHL and we had talked in the summer at a golf event, his, his golf event, as a matter of fact. And I said, uh, to make it, what do you got to do? You know, like, uh, what'd you do when you went? I and mean, he was kind of a tough guy fighter. And, and uh, he said, Dennis, you got to, you can score goals, you can make assists, you can do all that kind of stuff. You've got to, you got to be a prick on there. <laughs> <laughs> When you go to your your team that drafts you, that drafted you, Oakland, he said you got to go in. You've got to hit their best players. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to you got to show them that you want to be there, and you have to continue doing that while you're while you if you make the team. You've got to continue doing that. Then I I did that, and it gave me a lot of room, and I, I was able to uh, use my offensive off- offensive skills. And as a matter of fact, as you said, uh, you know, when I got drafted, I, I didn't even get offered a contract. They told me I was going to the minors uh, first. And uh, I had to play an, I played an exhibition game against LA Kings. And um, I played against Marcel Dion a lot in that game because we're both centermen. And I had scored a couple goals and an assist or something. I was the first star. And the GM and the president tapped me on the shoulder and they said, call your agent, who at that time player was Boom Boom Jeffrey you tell them, uh, you call them and tell them that when we get back to Oakland, we're going to sign a contract. And I made the team. I made the team. And as you said, I scored 30 goals. And, and I think I was uh, uh, second or third voting in the uh, uh, rookie of the year. Of course, uh, the great Brian Trache won it that year, uh, which well well deserving, no doubt about it. But I think uh, you look at the team he played on, and you look at the team I played on. Uh, California Golden Seals were, were not a very good team. And he played with the Islanders, had some great players, played with the Bossy. And, uh, you know, so I had, uh, I had some good numbers, but uh, 
I think the being out in the, the coast there, I didn't get a lot of uh, recognition as well as, uh, as, as the other players did out East. It's yeah. funny. It's funny. Cause I, when I first, I was, I did the pre and post game shows for the Islanders when they Great. had just drafted uh, John Tavares. So they were still bad at that point. One of their assistant yeah. coaches, they brought up a kid. I don't remember who it was. And I said, Oh, he's a great kid. And he's like, the, the coach said, yeah, great kid. Got a room full of great kids, all <laughs> yeah. great kids that you want to introduce yeah. to your daughter. And I turned and looked at him. I was like, yeah, you probably need a couple of MFers out there. He goes, we need a bunch of MFers out there. So like <laughs> that advice of be a prick I, that yeah. you got to, I mean, that's the way you got yeah. it, especially when you're a kid and you're trying to establish yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, when you're when you post career and you, you run into these uh, athletes you played against, and I did a show with, uh, um, I'll give you a couple. Bobby Clark uh, in Toronto, we were doing a, a charity show or something, and we're on on TV, and we're standing outside waiting to go on, and he looked at me and he goes, he looked at me and goes, "You're a prick out there." Thank you. And that's exactly what he said. Excuse my <laughs> word. And I looked at him and I go, "Well, you weren't so bad of a prick yourself." You know, and it was like, you know, if you people are listening, they're probably going, maybe these two guys are going to fight right here. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, we have a lot of respect for you. He said, I said, well, that, I appreciate it. Thank you. He says, every time you guys played against us, all we did, we had the lineup and all the numbers on the board. And all we did was circle number 21. And we were told to get them. <laughs> Stop 21 and because I'd, I'd scored goals and always had great games against the Flyers because I enjoyed that type of roughness, that aggressive type of game. And I didn't back down from anybody, and I certainly didn't back down from Bobby Clark. And I and, and you may think about it, for him saying that, it gave me a, a lot of respect for uh, as, as a hockey player, as a human being. Oh, you know, for, for sure. For, yes, and the then, ultimate compliment. And then, and then Mr. Gretzky, of course, the uh, – um, my, I have a friend in Toronto that uh, meets him and have lunch and dinners and stuff like that. And Wayne's a real statistician type guy. He knows a lot of things about, and, and not just hockey, sports. And Michael goes, uh, Wayne, do you, do you score 92 goals? Do you remember who was number four and, and third in scoring in that year with you? And he said, yeah, Dennis Maruk, he was a great hockey player. So, I mean, when you hear things like that, uh, um, you know, it's pretty, pretty special, pretty neat that, uh, even though I didn't win a Stanley cup and, uh, I played on some pretty weak teams, uh, you know, here, then they realized that, uh, I did make a, make a name up for myself out there. Yes. Oh, I was, made, yeah. right, the, I was going to ask you who had the, who had the more, uh, you <laughs> know, the, the thing that resonates more Bobby Clark and the missing the front teeth or you with the Fu Manchu yeah, mustache Fu Manchu, cause, yeah. cause you both yeah. had your thing. Right, exactly. And I, I, I did that. I watched, uh, I had a junior, uh, a little one, but uh, um, I, I was watching uh, baseball on TV. Kansas City Royals, uh, a relief pitcher. Al Habrowski. Mad Al Habrowski. Yeah. Yeah. And he go nuts on the mound and he had a yeah. man too. And I says, I'm going to stick with that. That's going to be my mark. <laughs> and that's, that was uh, kind of what, what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fine. So that's what you wanted to be, you wanted to look like him just because he looked yes. insane. That's just the way he was. He was yeah, intense, intense look. And I said, Well, geez, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So the 60 goal season that Gretzky talked about, I mean, look, you have this insane what is it, 20 some odd players in the history of the game that have had 60 right. goal seasons. You just happen to have it in a season where Bossy had 60 plus and Gretzky right. had 
a ridiculous 92 goals. So you are sort of the forgotten 60 goal scorer. But when you're in a zone like that, when you're scoring that much, what is that? Is it literally like what they say in basketball where the rim seems larger or the baseball seems like it's, it's a beach ball or the goal just probably felt like it was from board to board at that point? Yeah, I, I think it, you have to respect our, your coaches. Uh, they gave me the uh, – Brian Murray they gave me the opportunity to, to play a lot, power play and all that. Uh, I had two great line makes, uh, Ryan Walter and Chris Valentine. We, we, we stayed together all year. Um, which How important is that? How important is the chemistry of a line? It's very much so important because uh, it's just the, the, the talent on, on the other two guys, I mean – Ryan was an aggressive left winger uh, going a corner. I was in the corner with them. Uh, Chris had some pretty good hands and some, wasn't the fastest skater, but he was really, really good with playmaking and shooting. So we just, we worked on things and in, in, in practice because uh, we played a lot in the power play. Um, and we had, all three of us had our best years uh, as, an, as a hockey player. And, and uh, we, I had scored 20 power play goals, and Chris, I think, might have had 17, and Ryan had 15. But they were up uh, in 35-plus goals as well. So that was, that's a lot of goals in one line. And, and with a team that's not really successful, we were, we were getting close. We, were, we just needed them, and then they made that big trade, you know. So we were getting, we were getting better, but uh, um, it, was just, it was just fun to, to uh, be able to – I mean that year, I probably could have had 75, 80 goals. Just the way the way our line played, the way things were going, um, and I think we went about eight games and none of us scored. Uh, but Brian Murray kept us lined together. He, we kept getting chances, but we weren't we wasn't going in for us. But and that and that was that was great. And so I have to, I you know, applaud. Yeah, I had to do my thing, but they they did their things, and we gelled as a line, and it's very, very important. You look at Trache, Bossy, and Gillies, you're not going to split them up, you know, and stuff like that. They're just, you know, just there's no way. So uh, that's – that was pretty successful, and, and I owe a lot, of, a lot of gratitude and help from uh, those two players and the coach. It's interesting because, you know, the forgotten 60-goal scorer, but what's yeah. more forgotten, 60 goals or the fact that you also had 76 assists that year and 136 points? I mean, that is insane that season, what you were able to produce. Yeah, it was, uh, was pretty – yeah, and a lot of people say I'm a goal scorer, but I'd I say I'm a better playmaker uh, <laughs> than a goal scorer um, because I really, I really like setting guys up and stuff like that. So uh, – um, yeah, it was a pretty insane year. Uh, you know, I think Bossy and I were fighting out for second place on goal scoring. Uh, you know, he had 63, I think it was, and I had 60. But uh, and I had two games left, and I, I could have got a few more goals. I just didn't, wasn't able to score. But you know, you know, you have 20 guys uh, to be in that that group and be in that year. Uh, I've done a couple events where golf tournaments and, and the fellow that organized the golf event a few years ago put a big Bristol board, big, big sign. So they knew who I was and he put the top 10 scores of, of that year. And of course I was number four on Gretzky and then there was Stastny and there was uh, Bossy Stastny and myself. And then underneath was Marcel Dion, Yari Curry, Mark Messier, Dino Cicerelli, uh, Dennis <laughs> Bard. And, and I'm, I kind of looked at him and I go, that's pretty good names in there. Yeah, you and think? And there's this little kid from Rexdale, Ontario, uh, number four. Um, so I, I was proud, 
proud to be to do it that year and um of course the all-star game as well uh being in, in washington was a was a highlight in my career and um you know, it's just one of those one of those things. The years that things just kept going on and on, and uh, things worked out pretty good. As you look back on it now, because that's you scored fifty the year before, <laughs> so it's not like you know you, you know had this... my line mates. You know where my line mates were? Who? Well, do you know? You I, I, I do not know. Okay, Bob the Hound Kelly, that came from from Pittsburgh, from uh, Philadelphia. Uh, and Jean Pronovo, they came from Pittsburgh. They were both traded to our team. And that was our, I was a young centerman. They were two older guys. And Bob had, I think, uh, 24 go ahead, his best years. Uh, NHL parent Prony had 30 something. So we were, we were a good line. But to go 50 and 60, it was, uh, uh, in the two years, that's a lot of goals 110. And, um, yeah. And then things kind of fell down a little bit. So after that, yeah, I mean, all that, yeah. Yeah, you had 50 and 97 points, followed up by 60 and 136 points. Uh, that year, though, of the 60, um, watching Gretzky. Because I remember – I grew up on Long Island. So I remember when Bossy did 50 and 50. And right. you know, I was probably nine or something at, at that time. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, Rocket Richard. Yeah. And then Gretzky does 50 and 39 games, yeah, I think, it was the very next season. Right. When, when you're out there, a guy who's gifted, who's had a 50-goal season, who's on his way to a 60-goal season, and you're watching Gretzky give <laughs> chase to 100 goals and over 200 points, were you guys back then, when you would just sit and watch him, were you like, oh, this guy's he's playing a whole different sport at this point? Well, you know, you look at his supporting cast, I right. think. We're as athletes, uh, hockey players, and, and you look at who he had and and compared to players that I had when I played in Washington, that when I'd 60, and, and he had, uh, you know, Messi, Anderson, Curry, you could coffee. Hall of Fame, Hall of uh, Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Oh, right. yeah, exactly. And, and but all productive players. I right. mean, not not like these guys that were at 10 goals or, or they were all productive offensive team. And that's a big, I mean, Gretzky was phenomenal. There's no doubt about it, but he had a great supporting cast. You can't do that with a supporting cast like that. You, you've got to, you know, for him to get the, all those assists, I mean, I mean, he's a great playmaker, and, but, you know, he had to have those people to score the goals. And in, in our team, we didn't have a lot of those guys that scored the goals or, or whatever. The only time that we had a good team, I thought, was uh, when we played them in the mid-'80s, uh, the Oilers, when I was with the North Stars. We had a real strong team, and and uh, we had a good series in '84, I think it was. We just could, they're just too powerful. Yeah. Uh, when I would do, when I would talk with Alan May, um, when I did the shows with him, he, okay. <clears throat> you know, okay. I think he, he owned. I think he's been traded the most a trade deadline day. That's his sort of claim to fame. Okay. Or maybe someone has passed him now, but he he always said about the Caps. Players jump from team to team, and you know that's your team. Those are your guys. But one team generally kind of gets up in your blood and gets up in your bones, and that's just who you always feel like that's who I'm going to be associated with. And for him, it was the Caps, and it's led to a very nice life for him representing right. the Caps. As you're wearing that jersey and with the years you had in D.C., even though the team success wasn't there, what does that jersey mean to you? What do those years here in D.C. mean to you? Well, I mean, well, of course, it was the, the, the strongest years of my, my hockey career. There's no doubt about it. The, uh, I enjoyed playing for the Caps. And, 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 you know, the bigger thing, too, was the All-Star game. 
82 in, in uh, Landover there. And, and of course, uh, my, my parents were there. And, and it was just a special, special time for that to uh, have my parents be proud of, of what I did and um, being involved in, and then being the last one introduced uh, in the game. Uh, of all the players and the crowd went nuts. Uh, you know, you look back and those things will be with me till uh, I'm, I'm in the ground. There's no doubt about it because of the support I got from the fans and uh, the people there in Washington and the the the, the, the staff. Uh, Ted, not Ted Leon's is um, the uh, what's Dave his Poland. name? Dave Poland uh, and uh, Mr. Patrick and all that. How great they were. For uh, for me and my family and all that kind of stuff. So you know those those things will always be there. And then and then and then and then of course now the new caps and, and meeting Obi and and talking to him about the, the goal scoring and and he said that he says I beat your record, but but I won't beat your other record. You you'll have that. No one's going to beat the 136 points. No <laughs> one's going to beat 76 assists, and I won't do it. So those things, you know, you, when you hear that, that you Washington is a very special place and will always be in my heart. And and yes, I they're a number one team I cheer for. I do cheer for Toronto because I grew up as a kid in, uh, in Toronto and wanted to play for the Maple Leafs. But uh, but uh, Capitals are the, the team of of, of mine. Yeah, if I ever get inducted to, uh, the Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame, that would be my team, the Capitals, yes. Yeah, I'm sitting here with the picture of Ovi behind me when he held the cup up during the parade. And um, what did that mean to you when your team finally won the Stanley Cup? And what does it mean, the respect that Ovi clearly gives you as you've met him over the years now? Well, when we were, uh, I, was, I was there for the fourth game and, uh, and my I, a friend from here in Toronto, we were down there and he said, uh, I got tickets and a uh, place to stay and we'll take the chart plane and we'll go to Vegas for the fifth game. I said, well, um, no, I think they'll win it at home in six. They'll lose <laughs> They'll win it at home in six. And I had it all set up uh, with my grandson, who who is an OB, is a OB fan and named his fish OB and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and my son, we had, it was a surprise visit. They had to cancel oh. because, because uh, we were going to go to the game. Uh, they were coming to, we we're going to DC to, to for the sixth game. So, but we we made it next year. The, the he was able to meet up in Minneapolis. That's where they live. But uh, they went to practice, and he, my grandson, got to meet all the all the players and OV, and it was all set up through the caps. And right. it was really a special day. It was his birthday, his eighth birthday. So, uh, it was it's pretty neat. But you know, those things about uh, you know scoring records and all that. You know, they're they're made to be broken. There's no doubt about it. And to have a connection to one of the greatest goal scorers in, in the game today, uh, uh, Alex, is, is pretty pretty special in, in my mind. So uh, when I go down there and see the games, I usually run into him depending on uh, his schedule and his situation. And I go down after the game or something like that. But I don't I don't make it to I'm a modest guy, really. I don't uh, – uh, a lot of people say, well, you were a hockey player? You look like a musician because I wear hats and uh, I dress up and I have a Federa on or something like that. And I'm short and the guy, he goes to the board and I go, well, where's your, where's your instrument? You know, I said, no, I was a hockey player. Said, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all those things. So, you know, it's, it's been a, you know, the personal life is, is a lot better now. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, kind of semi-retired and I still skate and play, even though the, the COVID's not, 
uh, stopped all that. I do probably about 50, 60 games in charity events. I do a lot for Easter Seals. Yeah. Oh, very nice. That's, that's always important because yeah. to see you out there is big for anyone. Do you ever think, and I think I read someone in, in the, maybe the forward of your book said if he had scored 60 goals as a member of the Maple Leafs, forget it. it, it you know, he would have, it would have lived on forever. There would be no book about the forgotten 60 goal scorer. You ever think about if you had played in your hometown and what that could have been like? Well, yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> even, even scoring 60 goals in today's game, if I did that, you know, I'm, I'd have, I'd have a few bucks in the bank, but, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I was, you know, it was my time. I, it was during our time and, uh, all that kind of stuff. So you, you just, you look at it and you just you move on. I mean, I don't get, uh, it doesn't, I don't get down about it. Uh, you know, uh, I got more people, more people say you should be in the hall of fame. You should be in all fame. Hey, if that ever happens, great. Um, I'll be, I'll be so, so excited and so thrilled and, and I'd be very proud. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. 356 career goals, 878 career points and 888 career games. Just about a point a game player, uh, man. I hope that happens for you. Your story is fascinating. Uh, 60 goals, 136 point season. It, you know, like, like, Ovi, if Ovi's saying that's never going to get topped, yeah. that, that is something. I, yeah, I really thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I really do appreciate you taking some time out and it was, uh, it was nice meeting you. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. Stay safe. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Because again, this guy, I mean, there's, sure, there's a book written. Uh, and because it's probably a hockey player and a hockey player from, you know, the 80s and really kind of played non-traditional markets. And as the book said, he's kind of forgotten. If not for that, this has got the makings of a movie written all over it, right? I mean, Think about the highs and the lows and the Fu Manchu mustache. We haven't even mentioned the thing he's probably most known for was that incredible mustache. And you know, there's a little bit of like, uh, th there's just a little bit of a movie here. And, um, I, you know, I think it would be fascinating um, because there's so many life lessons involved in, in his entire world. Um, it's like it's a little bit of once upon a time in Hollywood, like a little bit of just flying by the seat of your pants, getting knocked down uh, and figuring out how to navigate life in a in a in a life that's not normal. Um, and, and that's why I just I just thought, what a great guy to talk to, because there's, you know, there's former players who've had charmed lives and were great, you know, on the ice and then had great success in life after hockey. And it's great to talk to those people. But. It's also like, well, you know, really, it, everything's gone your way. That, has, that was not the story of Dennis Marook, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really did, and I, I appreciate him offering up so much of his time um, to come and talk about things that have been talked about before, but he was more than willing to open up and, and let you see all sides of his life. This is the kind of content you're going to get here on the Capitol Building Podcast with Rob Carlin. Again, subscribe, leave a rating write a review, tell your friends to do the same to get the word out there and support Blue Wire Podcast and this podcast in particular. Uh, so we'll talk again soon. Let's go Caps.